What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to episode five, I think. <laughs> it might be five, might be six. I don't know. Um, anyway, this is Backmarker Podcast. I'm your host, Justin. And this is going to be a short, a shortened version of the podcast because we're in that part of the year where there's not much to talk about. Um, I had to scrounge around a little bit to find these topics uh, luckily, one of them just came up, so this is going to be, well, all these are pretty much um, live reactions, I, along with unscripted, unscripted as you can probably tell by now. Um, so let's get started with the MotoGP. Uh, La Gazeta de los Sport has released some contract, um, contract figures uh, for last year on some of the writers, well, some of the more well-known writers, and how much they made. Uh, so let's go down the list. At the top, go figure, it's Mark Marquez with a, and again, this is all report. This is all um, speculated, reported. This isn't confirmed. Uh, but Mark Marquez alleged, allegedly made 12.5 million euros last year. Uh, you have Fabio Quattraro with Less than half of that, 6 million euros. Juwan Mir, probably the most over, overpaid writer um, for last year. Tied with Fabio in 6 million euros. Beko Bagnaya, um, probably the most, well, not going to be the most, um, the best the best bang for your buck on this list. But he bring, he made 5 million Paul Espargo, three and a half. Jack Miller, Alex Rins, Franco Morbidelli, three million. Ouch for Franco Morbidelli and Yamaha paying him three million euros to be uh, fighting with the backmarkers. Uh, Johan, Johan Zarco, two million euros. Maverick Vinales, this is a crash.net estimate. Um, well, actually, both the, the Prilly writers are Maverick Vinales and Alex Aleix Espargo, two million euros. And then Brother Marquez and Jorge Martin made 1 million euros. Uh, Miguel Oliveira, 625,000. Takaki Nakagami and Brad Bender, half a, mil- half a million euros. Inea Bastianini, 375,000 euros. Man, he's going to... He's gonna be asking for that paycheck. I wonder how much he's making now for for Ducati because this again this was last year's. Uh, Luca Marini three hundred thousand, and then rounding out the bottom is Brother Bender, Darren, Marco Bezecchi, Raul Fernandez, and Remy Gardner with a quarter million euros. Um, so yeah, Juan Mir six six million euros. I mean. Cr- all, all credit to all these writers and their agents. They deserve they deserve much more money than what they're getting. Even Mark Marquez, uh, considering how much money Dorna makes off of these writers um, and all the bullshit they have to go through with with the lack of safety and all this other stuff. But you know, Juan Mir making six million euros um, and Paul Espargo three and a half million. Those are the two that really jump out at me, especially Juan. Um, I know he's a MotoGP title winner, and that's and that's probably the only thing that drove up that cost is the title. But I think we can all agree that that was that had his title winning had more to do with the circumstances and the climate. 
um, circumstances being no Mark Marquez and the climate being COVID-19 um, than anything else. So, you know, that's kind of overpaying in my, in my opinion for the team. Uh, but again, they signed him and his agent fleeced Su- Suzuki for 6 million euros. Credit to them because Suzuki didn't have to pay him, but they did anyway. Um, and then, <clears throat> and Ambassador only making 375,000 euros. God, that's, that's terrible. Um, and then what else on here? What, what was the other one that jumped out on me? Um, Oh yeah, Brad Binder only making half a million. That guy deserves a lot more with what he's able to do on that KTM. Uh, we're going to see how much he can do compared to um, Simon and Garfunkel, Jack Miller um, this year. Um, but yeah, so those are again; these are all re- these have not been confirmed, um, and two of them, uh, the Aprilia writers. Are estimates by Crash.net. Um, this what that I got this off of their website. So next topic on MotoGP, and again it has to deal with salaries. Um, is the writers and the teams are in disagreement over the sprint race bonus payments. Um, this is from Motorsport.com. Credit to Oriol uh, Pujdemont. Hopefully I'm saying his name right and not butchering it. But um, yeah, this is kind of interesting, um, especially concerning the fact that Dorna threw this on everyone without advanced notice or warning, and now the writers they're they're wanting they're obviously wanting to get paid for this. Um, and like I said before, their the salaries nowadays are nowhere near what they were in the in the past um, because they're they're more what what a what mechanics in America call flat rate, um, which is basically paid. Uh, they're they they're more their money is perf- is performance based. Um, so that's you know those twelve that twelve and a half million dollars from Mar Marquez that was just the base salary. I'm sure that he could have made more. Um, all those riders probably made more based off of bonuses, but we don't know what those bonuses are. But that's the way that this that the MotoGP market is now. You get a small. Um, your your base pay is small because everything is performance uh, influenced. Um, but the fact that Dorna, the teams, the writers, none of these guys have th- th- thought about, hey, we're adding more races for these guys, so maybe they should get paid more, is kind of indicative, or not indicative, but it's kind of for, it's kind of really telling about how Dorna. And <laughs> sorry about that. Um, it's kind of telling how Dorna and and the FIM and the writers and the teams, all the parties are just they're not all on the same page. Uh, but anyway, let's get getting off this tangent. Um, this again. This is from Motorsport.com. Uh, they have spoken with several figures. The initial idea was to establish a common money pool divided equally in two. One half would be paid by teams in equal parts, while the other half would be paid by Dorna. Holy shit! Um, but there, and I, yeah, this, that's dumb. 
However, this proposal will not even be presented to Dorna now due to a lack of consensus among teams and manufacturers as some don't look favorably on the possibility of having to pay the prize for a rival to win in the sprint race. No shit. Um, so, yeah, it looks like that's the only real proposal that has been that we know about. And that's that's dumb. You, no team, teams should not have to put up the money. This should come from Dorna. This should come from the FIM. This should come from the people who made this decision um, half-cocked to to front this money. Um, and again, this, this just shows how disconnected Dorna and FIM are, or Dorna more so than FIM, because the FIM is just going to do whatever Dorna wants them to do, but just shows the disconnection between Dorna and fucking reality. Um, I hope these riders get paid what, what they should get paid for this sprint race, um, because as we're going to talk about in, the net, in this next uh, topic from MotoGP, it could turn into a shit show. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds. Um, and if there's going to be any, anybody from the teams or the writers, um, or even Dorna for that matter, although I highly doubt from Dorna, but anybody from the, the writers or the teams who, who are going to give an honest opinion about this whole, this whole situation. Um, and then speaking of this added, um, the reason why they deserve more money is because the F because MotoGP has decided to um, introduce a new front tire, a minimum, a new minimum front tire pressure. Um, Alex Marquez has called it "quote unquote" unsafe. He's been the only writer so far um, that has said it, so take that for what it's worth. But the his concern is is that the minimum tire pressure for the front is going to be 1.9 bar or 27.6 PSI. And the rear is going to be 1.7 bar or 24.7 PSI. Um, the main issue, at least from Alex Marquez's standpoint, is when the tire pressure reaches 2.2 bar or 32 PSI, um, it's not going to have the same grip. Um, basically, they're, he's worried that there's going to be more more low side crashes and and all that, which again, being that the writers seem to be the only the only ones who care about their own safety, um, this could become a big issue. And tying that in with these sprint races, um, if they're going to really, if they're not going to change this minimum tire pressure, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the teams and the writers. Uh, how it will affect them. Um, but yeah, so far Alex Marquez is the only person who's come out in, excuse me, is the only person who's come out and said and criticized this, this rule. Um, the interesting thing I, I read on this article was that he claims that there are 13, if, if this new rule, if this new rule were, was to be enforced last year, he claims that there would be 13 riders who have been disqualified in Australia, um, which is kind of interesting because uh, I believe it was last year. It was either last year or the year before. Um, I think it was Matt Oxley who reported um, that 
Ducati was intentionally um, not setting their ter- not a they weren't <laughs> they were they were they were sorry the front tire pressures they were not adhering to this i guess it was a gentleman's agreement if i remember correctly um they weren't adhering to it and Matt Oxley reported that it was just Ducati um and for those that don't know how that whole drama unfolded i would i highly recommend googling it because it's it's kind of funny seeing it's 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 a very entertaining read to say the least um because Matt Oxley basically came out and accused Ducati of cheating and Gigi kind of just came back and said nobody else has a problem Matt Oxley is the only person that has a problem so I don't understand what the big fucking deal is you know he's Matt Oxley is a reporter not not a team member so if anybody has a problem if any of the other teams have a problem with it then they can say something nobody said anything although this year they come out with this new rule, so maybe this was one of those behind closed doors uh, discussions that was had. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, Alex thinks that it's going to change, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's. It's just going to be, it's, it's interesting to see the salaries and the, just the financial aspect of this right now. You know, you got all these riders who are making, except for Mark Marquez, under 10 million euros um, a year. And, you know, let's just do a quick Google search here. Dorna net worth. Okay, so for 2019, the total sales value of the Spanish advertising agency accounted for approximately 47.6 million euros. We're trying to mention decrease. Oh, this has COVID. So we're just going to throw that out. Um, But basically, so 2018, they they reported over a quarter billion euros. So you have this you have this company who is a quarter billion dollar company and they're and these writers are only getting paid less than ten percent. God, that's that's just terrible. Um, but that's capitalism for you. All right, so moving on, this will be the last section, last few topics of this podcast. Um, so and this, and this has to deal with IMSA. Um, the IMSA sanctioned Sebring test. We have 26 entries uh, for this test. Most notably, BMW is only bringing one car. All the other GTP categories, uh, manufacturers, Cadillac, Porsche, um, Acura, they're all, they're all bringing both cars um, to this test. BMW, they're only bringing one. Um, so, I again, this... This speaks to the reliability issues I think that BMW is still ha- is still dealing with uh, because in the 24 hours of Daytona they were the first team to have issues um, very very early on. 
everyone else was able to recover, but BMW was not, um, for the most part, I should say, recover for the most part. Um, but yeah, 26 entries, BMW's only bringing half their team or half their cars. Uh, the interesting thing that I, that I found other than, other than the BMW is the balance of performance adjustments. Um, so no, this is from Sports Car 365. Apologies, um, credit to John Daggis for it. Uh, so the BOP adjustments, um, the GTP will see a power limit increase from 500 kilowatts to 520 kilowatts, um, 670 horsepower to 697 horsepower, as well as 10 megajoules of additional maximum stint energy across all four LMDH manufacturers. Um, for the for the GT3 category, um, all cars, all the manufacturers will receive power increases. Um, Porsche and Lamborghini will be getting a one millimeter larger air restrictor, and the Ferrari having a slight increase in turbo boost pressure. Um, so still, they're not they're not hitting the Mercedes AMG GT3 with any BLP adjustments, which is interesting. We'll see how that plays out um, at Sebring. Um, but yeah, BMW still working through their issues with with this new GTP category. And so is Porsche. Um, this is still from Sports Car 365, but Daniel Lloyd wrote this article. Uh, Porsche is working through their, their issues with suppliers. Um, and this is from Managing Director Jonathan Dejude. Again, hopefully I said his name right. Um, and this is his quote. They were He was... Managing Director Jonathan Dejude told reporters on Thursday that the Penske factory squad was left a bit disappointed, quote-unquote, with how both of its Porsche 963s encountered setbacks in last month's 24-hours of Daytona. The number 6 machine had a problem with its X-Track gearbox, while the number 7 underwent a change of its Williams battery, both spec parts, and also faced a broken water pipe. Uh, Porsche is now preparing for its race, first race in the, in the WC's hypercar class, along with the with the IMSA GTP class, um, hypercar the, with 1,000 miles of Sebring and the 12 hours of Sebring, respectively. Um, Dejude indicated that the Porsche, or I'm sorry, Penske works team is liaising with the spec parts suppliers as part of its work to ensure improved reliability at the Sebring Double Series events. Um, our quote, ours were definitely visible. I think spec components are positive cost control measure. You can develop them across multiple platforms, but the platforms are different. There are different engines with different characteristics, different vibration levels, and things like that. No shit. We're working through with the suppliers to make sure that we understand how those components are affected by the architecture that our team has chosen and how we make sure those parts are reliable in the future. Um, and then it goes on to some PC talk. Um, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, it's, so Porsche is dealing with, <clears throat> all these manufacturers are going to have issues um, with these new cars. Um, like I said, uh, I think it was in episode one or two. Um, if you got a new clip, basically it's just like having a brand new um, model, brand new generation car for, you know, that you, that you drive on the street. 
you know, you never buy the first year of a brand new model or a revised model um, because of all the issues that that they didn't see in in R and D and all these simulations and dynos and all this other stuff. So it's interesting to see how it's going to be interesting to see who's going to be able to overcome it more more or faster. Um, it looks like it looks like Cadillac and Acura Acura are are the are the ones that are handling it best. Uh, Cadillac more so than than Acura because if I remember correctly, both Acuras um, they had to do oil changes, um, which is very uncommon for a twenty four hour race. Um, and I'm not just talking. I'm not just talking about um, you know topping oil off like a complete oil change, evacuating the oil, evacuating the old oil, old oil, putting in the new oil, and changing the filter. They had to do that multiple times across a twenty four hour race. And then also was reported that both Acuras had gearbox issues, um, which is pretty amazing considering how they were able, how strong they were in the daytime. They were still, even with the gearbox during, towards the end of the race, they were still able to maintain that lead. Um, and Cadillac, I don't think they had too many issues. Um, if I If I recall correctly, I could be wrong. But um, yeah, it's 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 going to be a season of attrition, basically. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how quickly Porsche can with Penske, um, and it helps having Penske as as a works team um, because they have been around for so long. They know and they've been around for so long, and they've been racing in so many different different series for that time span that. If there's any team that can figure it out quicker, it's going to be Penske. Um, but yeah, it's going to be it's. We'll see what happens in in Sebring. Um, I suspect they'll have a lot more battery failures, um, along with suspension failures, because of that track. Um, that was an interesting little little tidbit that that just kind of made me think a little bit more. Is uh, what did you say said about the vibrations? Um, those batteries, their durability is going to get put to the test at Sebring. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how many battery, how many extra batteries the teams bring with them, um, and see how often they have to replace it. And then for the last topic on IMSA, it is so. This was prior to the test, which was held on the tenth. Um, a little bit late on that because I probably could have covered it. Um, yeah, I could have covered it on the last podcast, but um, that's that's my bad for not covering it then. So that was before, and then the the post test. Surprise, surprise! Acura is the quickest in in that uh, sanctioned test. Uh, this is from John Daggis again on Sports Car Three Sixty Five. Um, Jack Aiken put the other Cadillac. F- so hold on, I'm getting way too way ahead of myself. So Philippe Albuquerque uh, put in a 146.450 in the fifth and final session, um, going nearly half a second quicker than the second place car, which was the number six Porsche Penske. Um, the sole BMW. What was his time? Oh, they were the slowest. Rear of the time charts, nearly two seconds slower. 
Jesus. God, that's terrible for Porsche or BMW. I'm sorry. But kind of shows you why they only brought one car. Um, let's see what else they got. Oh, surprise, surprise. GTD. AMG had the quickest time. Mm. Um, but that was in GTD. It was, that was in the regular GTD class, the GTD Pro. Uh, number 14, Vasher Sullivan Lexus had the quickest time. Um, bah, 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 the and the, the brand new Porsche 992 is still struggling in the GT with with their GT3 their new GT3 car. Um, 1.3 seconds off from the Mercedes. So Acura is yeah. Acura's been strong, obviously, since since the get go, um, and the BOP hasn't. They haven't done anything with the BOP to try and close the gap. Um, luck, luckily for Cadillac, this is going to be a twelve hour race. They were strong at night um, in Daytona. And this race finishes under the under the lights uh, or lack thereof in in the case of Sebring. So it'll be interesting to see if Cadillac can duplicate their strong their strong running at night at Sebring or if they're going to run into issues. Um, so yeah, but Acura is still on top. And then the last topic, well, this is actually going longer than I thought it was. <laughs> um, this ties into IMSA and Formula One a little bit. Um, so Ford is set to launch a single make Mustang series. Um, I'm going to spare you the details because it sounds like it's going to be a GT, uh, a GT4 Category that's going to be um, kind of like a, a Saturday race series. Um, but still, the reason why I wanted to, to bring this up is with Ford supposedly um, going to assist Red Bull Racing with powertrains, specifically the battery component. Um, it's interesting to see that they're still supposedly moving forward. This, this series hasn't, there's nothing set in stone. Um, all it is is talk now, but Ford is making this investment in a single make series of their own, of their own cars, uh, all the while investing this money into formula one. Um, the reason why I find this interesting is because we've seen, we've seen other manufacturers go into formula one in various stages and they've had to cut costs because of how much money it takes um, to be competitive. So I've always held I've I've always held the belief that Ford and GM they're going to have to do some massive uh, drawbacks in terms of their involvement in other series because of their of their involvement or soon to be involvement with Formula One GM more so than Ford because GM is basically uh, sub helping Andretti Autosport field the, field the team, field the car, uh, engines, all that stuff. Ford is supposedly only the batteries. Uh, I'll believe that when I see it uh, because RBR is still going to do the engines and Ford is saying we'll, they'll help with the batteries. Um, so we'll see how that unfolds. If Ford actually does do the batteries or if they just basically going to be 
um, paying Red Bull Racing to put their name on the on the the valve covers and the airbox. Um, but the fact that they're still planning on moving forward with this with this single make series um, is interesting. We'll see if they're able to find the 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 funding and the financing for to run the series, um, or if they're going to find out just how much money it's going to cost them to be in Formula One and and kill it. Uh, they still have a, a couple years to 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 make that decision. Um, but yeah, I thought it was I thought it was interesting to see that Ford is Ford is expanding, and GM is doing the exact opposite. Um, and for on the GM side, they've they're they're discontinuing their their factory run Corvette racing uh, program. Uh, their brand new GT three car, uh, the C eight. The C8R, I think is what it's called, is going to be a customer supplied car only. So basically, they're going to do, they're going to do the same thing that that all the big names do, uh, like Mercedes, Ferrari, uh, well, not Porsche anymore, but well, Porsche in the, in the GT category. But all these big names, they're they're going, they're catering more towards the customer supply. And or giving customer support rather than funding and fielding their own factory works team. Uh, Ferrari has been doing that for a while, at least on the IMSA side, albeit half-assed and extremely just um, lacking in support and funding. Um, but they still have AF Corsa in WEC. But uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this how this unfolds. Um, with Ford and these and this Mustang Dark Horse R. So that will do it for this podcast. Um, well, it's about 10 minutes shorter, give or take. Uh, thank you for tuning in and hope to see you on the next episode. And shout out to Remy Gardner before I forget. Sixth place on a factory Yamaha. Fuck you, Hervé Poncheral. Fuck you, KTM. Fuck you, Pit Buyer. Go Remy Gardner.